0: Welcome to a brand new week and a brand new episode of People Are Wild, the podcast that claims to have medical entertainment, medutainment, if you will. I'm still Kim, your friendly neighborhood ER travel nurse of a host, and this week's subject matter is a listener-suggested one, which is refreshing and super exciting because it just so happens to be something that we do actually see quite frequently in the emergency room. So, in the interest of Kind of keeping with the theme that I go right into things a little bit quicker this year with these episodes, I have lit my Duchess of Cambridge prayer candle. It smells very proper, if I do say so myself. And I have listened to Wilson Phillips release me on a loop repeat for about an hour, so I'm ready, if you're ready, to talk about how people are wild. Now, I mentioned that this is a listener suggested topic and as such i thank that listener greatly for sharing their story with me and giving me permission to share their story with all of you however the condition was that there would be anonymity no problem i live in the land of hipaa on a daily basis i got you so this listener shared with me their story of their pregnancy before pregnancy she was a competitive dancer going to the gym on a pretty much daily basis and overall was a very healthy individual Now, if any of y'all have ever seen Dance Moms, you know how competitive dance can be. It can be a very demanding and exhausting activity. Now, while I've been writing this, they released a new teaser for the brand new season of Dance Moms, and honestly, when Abby broke down over her cancer diagnosis, all the drama that she normally brings was put aside because in that clip, that was a truly real gut-wrenching reaction. See, I used to be a very avid Dance Moms viewer, so I got distracted there. In fact, I might start eating Sour Patch Kids in my car in a dramatic manner thanks to that show. Anyways, back to the listener story. Over the course of 35 weeks, she had severe nausea and vomiting that eventually led to malnutrition with a protein, fat, calcium, and several other deficiencies, all things associated with hyperemesis gravidarum. In her case, she delivered via c-section, and while she's journeying back to being healthy, she challenged me with covering hyperemesis gravidarum. So let's do it. Now in the ER, it is not uncommon to see pregnant patients check in with different problems that may or may not be related to their pregnancy. We see people who are actively laboring and rush them up to the OB unit as soon as possible. At the time of this recording, I have yet to quote unquote, catch a baby in the ER, but I have a few colleagues from the ER who have helped women out of their car and in the process helped to deliver their baby in the parking lot. 100% a true story. Just like Degrassi, I give you things that are 100% intense. By the way, is anyone else still to this day tripped out that Jimmy from Degrassi can walk in real life and actually made it big on his stage name of Drake? I am still shooketh, as the kids say, by that fact. Back to medical talk, I digress, it is true. I've seen a few I didn't know I was pregnant patients who end up coming in for something like what they think is a kidney stone or a bad UTI, only to be told, surprise, you're pregnant and that pain is from contractions. No, for real, that happens in real life in the emergency room. It's, yeah, you have to be there, but you can't really be there. But can you imagine going in for what you thought was a kidney stone or really bad UTI and being told that you're not only pregnant, but actively in labor? It does indeed happen. But on the other end of the spectrum, we see patients who are also having miscarriages or ectopic pregnancies. And depending on what is going on with that patient, it could become a serious medical problem that requires immediate surgical interventions. Another common thing that we see in pregnant patients is nausea and vomiting, which you're probably like, uh, hang on, isn't that somewhat of a normal part of pregnancy? Fair point. But if you take it to the extreme level, and you're in the land of hyperemesis gravidarum, or HG, that is something that is completely beyond a normal nausea and vomiting with pregnancy. Hyperemesis gravidarum might sound like a Harry Potter finishing move, and trust me, it would no doubt cripple Voldemort if it was, but it is a very real, very miserable condition for pregnant patients. So what is it? HG is a severe form of nausea and vomiting that happens during pregnancy. Hyperemesis is worse than morning sickness. And that's a very important point that needs to be kept in mind and that can make it a bit tricky to diagnose sooner rather than later in pregnant patients. Now, HG may cause a person to have nausea or vomiting all day for many days. I'm telling you, it's a miserable condition. In turn, it keeps a person from eating and drinking enough food and liquids. Hyperemesis usually occurs during the first half of pregnancy, about the first 20 weeks or so. It often goes away once a woman is in her second half of pregnancy. However, sometimes it can persist for the whole duration of a pregnancy. So what causes it? Well, it's not really straightforward. Yet another condition of the human body that is mysterious but there are some theories about what might contribute to this condition. It may be related to changes in hormones in the body during pregnancy, such as high levels of the pregnancy hormone HCG, the thing that is measured when a person pees onto a stick for a home pregnancy test. Spoiler alert, the urine tests we do in the hospital are basically the same thing as the ones that you can buy over the counter. And even the ones from the dollar store can be actually accurate. So did that just blow your mind? You're welcome. Some research suggests that the increase in estrogen might contribute to the development of HG in pregnant patients. So what are the signs and symptoms of HG? Well, going from the somewhat obvious to start off with, severe nausea and vomiting leads it off. But this isn't just like you've drank too much booze one night and Gatorade is your elixir to life the next morning that you can only stomach in small sips. I know some of you can relate to that feeling when you wake up from a heavy drinking session and you can barely lift your head for the fear of the nausea getting worse and then having to make a beeline for the bathroom, praying that your concoction of Pedialyte and Gatorade will heal you. Is there an essential oil that cures hangovers? Is it peppermint? I feel like it would be peppermint. But back to the case of HG, this type of severe nausea and vomiting associated with pregnancy does not go away, and it doesn't allow you to keep any food or liquids down. That is the major hallmark of HG. Morning sickness, for the most part, goes away after a specific amount of time within a day, and definitely after a specific amount of time within a pregnancy. But if it's not going away, you might be in the land of HG. But how can you tell the differences between these two? One of the guidelines is that vomiting more than three or four times a day might sway you more towards HG than morning sickness. Weight loss of more than 10 pounds and dehydration can also be associated with this and can wreak havoc on your body in any situation. But imagine also being pregnant and having all of this occurring. It makes sense that another sign and symptom of HG is having no desire to eat or not liking foods that were previously enjoyed. So let's go a little bit deeper into HG. What increases the risk of having this condition? And how do you earn that diagnosis while pregnant? Well, first things first, I'm the realist. Just kidding, that's an Iggy Azalea reference. Iggy Azalea, what a time to be alive. If she's doing anything as of late, I need answers. I should probably Google that after this. Anyways, in terms of risk factors, we should probably back it up a little bit and talk about what they are. So the Cleveland Clinic explains it very well. A risk factor is something that increases a person's chances of getting a disease or condition. Now, risk factors do not necessarily mean that a person will develop this condition. In the case of HG, the following are risk factors. Having hyperemesis gravidarum during an earlier pregnancy, a Kate Middleton with her previous pregnancies, being overweight, having a multiple pregnancy, aka being pregnant with twins or above. Geez, it makes you wonder if Octomom got HG. Being a first-time mom, this is probably due to the fact that the body has never had an increase in those pregnancy hormones, or having the presence of trophoblastic disease, which involves the abnormal growth of cells in the uterus. Now, the last one could be a little bit much to understand. It gets a little technical, but when there is an abnormal growth of cells inside the uterus, this can lead to a rise in those pregnancy hormones, the HCG and estrogen, which again is theorized as contributing to how HG starts. Now, a provider will first do a physical assessment and take a medical history. This gives the provider an opportunity to talk to a patient about their symptoms and decide whether or not specific blood or urine testing is needed in order to make an accurate diagnosis. Now, many times in the ER, you're working on a couple different hunches and ruling out all the big bad wolf of horrible things. Come in for chest pain and say that you think it's a strained muscle. We're going to rule out all the bad stuff like a heart attack. It's part of what we do in the ER, that whole emergency part of the emergency department. Now, here's a side question. Is it ER, ED, or a Emergency is still like the common denominator for all those, but I'm always curious about how other people refer to the emergency department. Like sometimes it's ER, sometimes it's ED, but then that sounds like erectile dysfunction and it's like, oh, I'm going to the ED, but maybe you shouldn't say that in certain, so, so, I don't know. And then A&E is the show, but I know overseas they call it A&E. It, I get confused by this. Clearly, I just go and fluctuate between ER and ED, depends on how I feel. So Let's say you've got HG. I am truly sorry, but maybe the silver lining is knowing that it'll clear up no matter what upon labor and delivery of the baby. Okay, maybe that's not so much of a silver lining. You're still miserable for the better part of a year. So what can we do in the ER and in the hospital to make a patient feel better? Medication and IV fluids are your one-two punch against HG. When we see patients in the ER, they've tried everything they can at home in order to avoid coming in. Some of them already have medicine at home prescribed to them for nausea and vomiting, and it's not quite covering all the bases. Some use more over-the-counter approaches, and maybe holistic, as a bid to help them, but sometimes hospital-level interventions are needed. Now, I mentioned this before, and you might recall, Kate Middleton, the Duchess of Cambridge herself, had to be admitted to stay in the hospital due to her HG whilst pregnant with, I think, pretty much all of her kids, at least two of them. The royal family, apparently will not be deterred by a miserable condition, I guess, in order to continue a lineage. Sorry, I'm not sorry. I just, I get a little bit, mm, we'll say heated when it comes to discussing the royal family as of late, and I am trying my darndest not to digress on this. So we have indeed admitted people to get treatment for HG a bit longer than your standard ER visit over the course of a few hours. They actually do have to be admitted to stay in the hospital for an overnight, possibly in two nights, in order to get things under control. Now, in rather severe cases, some women end up outfitted with something similar to an insulin pump, but instead of insulin, the pump has anti-nausea medication in it that is released into the body to help them combat the symptoms of HG. These women, like those with insulin pumps, rotate their sights in in terms of needle placement, but many report that it does improve their symptoms once they get their system down. But to go back a little bit, what can a pregnant patient do once they've been discharged from the hospital after being stabilized and are now able to hold down medication and food and fluids by mouth? How can they hopefully avoid coming into the ER again? Now, touching on what was mentioned earlier, taking prescribed medication or over-the-counter medication as directed by a healthcare provider might help with relief over the course of the pregnancy. Now, avoiding iron pills and multivitamins that contain iron for the first three to four months of pregnancy also might be something that can help with managing symptoms of HG. If you take prescription iron pills, do not stop taking them unless your healthcare provider approves. Some tips and tricks for home management outside of medicines could include, in the morning before getting out of bed, trying to eat a couple of dry crackers or a piece of toast. Avoiding foods and smells that upset your stomach. Fatty and spicy foods may make nausea worse eating five to six small meals throughout the day, and avoiding drinking fluids while eating meals. Drink between meals, not during them. Eating or sucking on things that have ginger in them can also possibly help with decreasing symptoms. Ginger has been proven to help with relieving nausea for some people. And maybe avoiding food prep in general. The smell of food can spoil your appetite or trigger nausea. Consider snacks high in protein, foods like cheese. So you get a pass of sorts to bump up your cheese to intake. You're welcome. Now, the biggest things to stress about HG is to keep all follow-up visits with your healthcare provider and to follow instructions from them about medicines, eating and drinking restrictions, and suggestions for diet, as well as home care in general. You should be aware of any concerning, worrisome, or changing symptoms. What does that mean? It means you should get in touch with a healthcare provider if you're experiencing pain in the abdomen, have severe headaches, having visual changes, or are continuing to lose weight even with interventions. Pregnancy is not the time to start dropping massive amounts of weight as it can cause a dangerous situation for mom and baby's health. But what would necessitate a return back to the ER? It would all stem back to not being able to keep fluids down. If you can't drink fluids without vomiting, you're vomiting blood, you have constant nausea and vomiting, you're very weak, you feel thirsty, you feel dizzy, you faint, you have a fever or other symptoms that last for more than two to three days, or you have a fever and your symptoms suddenly get worse, you need to clue in your healthcare provider and should probably bet on a visit to the ER in your immediate future. While HG is essentially a condition that works itself out once the baby is delivered in terms of symptoms being alleviated, it can leave a woman with after effects that that they still deal with months after the birth of their child. It is important to continue to follow up regularly with their healthcare provider. So special thanks to my fantastic listener out there who suggested covering this condition. You are a celebrity in my world and you share... A condition that Kelly Clarkson, Kim Kardashian, and previously mentioned the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, Deborah Messing, Courtney Kardashian, Molly Sims, Angie Harmon, Tia Mowry, and Tori Spelling all suffer from. By the way, is Tori Spelling still married to Dean? That whole situation just seems like a ticking time bomb, like, all the time. Allow me to wrap up this episode by saying in the last episode of this pod whenever I released it, ages ago, I feel like, the answer to the you got what stuck where was a set of keys. Yeah, this toddler fell onto a set of keys and it had just been strategically placed in just the right position, a million to one shot, that one of the keys got lodged into his eyes. So surgeons were actually able to safely remove it and the kiddo had no lasting damages to his vision or his actual eye anatomy. So I figured... Why not switch it up a little bit with you got what stuck where for this week? Instead of doing the whole four clues and you guess what it is, I just was so interested in this story that I'm just going to tell you it, because it's somewhat unbelievable, but I feel like it could be on an episode of Dateline, or maybe 48 Hours. I don't know. But definitely not 2020. 2020 is trying pretty hard, but I just feel like this story wouldn't make it. So here we go on this week's You Got What Stuck Where. This comes from Dr. Ali Sadik, who states that in their practice, there was a patient that came in that was well dressed, well maintained, a middle aged woman who came into the emergency room with stomach pains. Now, while the physical exam didn't reveal anything of note, an abdominal x-ray revealed a whole heck of a lot. The woman's stomach and her upper small bowel were littered with objects that seemed to resemble jewelry. And that was because it was jewelry. See, this woman kept swallowing her own jewelry to keep her husband from giving the pieces to his mistress. Now, the prognosis was good and the offending items were removed, but there's no word about the state of that marriage. But that is some amazing ingenuity for running the jewels, if you will. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. So thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Feel free to reach out to me and share your story of HG, or just give me a suggestion for a show topic by emailing me at peoplearewildpod at gmail.com, or take to Twitter and tweet at me, at peoplearewild. I basically respond to everything. I would be honored to cover a topic near and dear to your heart. So have a spectacular week ahead. And as always, believe in the good, practice random acts of kindness, and seeing as how we are on the back end of February, and it was Heart Health Month, definitely consider taking a CPR class. Hello friends, we are the Ladies of Strange. I'm Ashley. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Rebecca. Have you ever wondered if Jenny's head really did fall off when they removed the green ribbon? Or if aliens are hiding in the tails of comets waiting to take us away? Or if there's any scientific basis to the Ouija board? Well then don't risk your search history and join us each Thursday as we discuss the history, mystery, and theory of all things questionable, odd, and eerie. For links to where you can stream episodes and see blog posts on the subjects we cover, head over to our website, theladiesestrange.com. Keep it strange, lovelies.
1: Hey folks, how's it going? My name is Augie, and I host a podcast called The Short Stories of Augie Peterson. Once upon a time, I had two blogs. Then one day, I started listening to podcasts. They seemed like a lot of fun and would combine the thing I was always afraid to share with the world, my writing, with the thing I had no choice but to share, my theater background. So I decided to combine them into a podcast for those millennials that don't have time to read two blogs. I read the original short horror stories I write every other Tuesday and review really terrible horror movies from Netflix, Redbox, Amazon Prime, and even the dollar store with massive amounts of snark every other Thursday. On the first Saturday of each month, I tell my listeners about five new indie artists that I have interviewed that I think they should know about. So if you like terrible horror movies, learning about new artists, really good horror stories, and total nerds, this is the podcast for you. Check out the short stories of Augie Peterson wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, go to AugiePeterson.wordpress.com. Toodaloo!